brothers and sisters, good morning. You know, I wish I could bound up here like Stephen does and jump right into it. Not as young and spry. I've also got new glasses, so that might be dangerous. The other, two other good things about those new glasses, I can't see y'all real clearly. So if you're scowling or, or smiling, I won't be able to. I can't see that clock either. So we're just going to go. We're just going to go for it. Until someone comes up here and I might see him approach and say, you know, when Stephen told me uh, the passage that he wanted me to, uh, to share on this morning uh, a few weeks ago, I said, man, I, I looked at it and I read it. I said, I, I know that passage. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot in those first eight verses of uh, chapter four. How am I going to fit that all into an hour? I said, no problem. We can do that. Then this morning he said, okay, go light on verse one. I said, okay, I can get it down to about 50 minutes then. No. <laughs> It's, you know, uh, many of you who know me, and my name's Les, uh, for those who I have not yet met. I'm, I am one of the leaders here, uh, working with Stephen and, and each and every one of you uh, here in this body of believers that we call Nashville Baptist Church. And that's one of the things we're going to be looking at today is this body of believers. What brings us together, what binds us together, and then also what sets us apart, what makes us unique. And so I, I am one of the leaders here. I think I'm a little funny at times. I, I like to be funny. Maybe it's just me. Maybe others. Uh, you know, I, I, one of those that you can uh, see yourself being a, a, a preacher or someone who stands up in, in a pulpit, and you, you picture all these pastors that you've known throughout your life, as I do. And I can look at Stephen also. And uh, little did I know that I'd become like Jerry Clower in, in, in my humor and in my... my just the, the, the funniness and everything. Stephen can talk a lot better than I can. I, I've got a lot more uh, accents in my mouth and, and uh, everything, so a lot more rocks in my mouth. Uh, so, but I'll try to go through this. Last week, and I wasn't here last week, so I listened to uh, his podcast on the sermon last week. When Stephen went through that, that prayer that Paul was praying uh, there in that last part of chapter 3 for the believers there at the church of Ephesus. And he sort of, uh, you know, it, it's, he has started that, that passage there in chapter 3, and then stepped aside and went, uh, did that long aside and that two paragraphs, and then came back to it into a prayer. And he's reminding them of all the things that God has done, that, uh, that there is a God who knows each and every one of those believers who knows each and every person in creation. He's named them all. And that name, as Stephen said, had a very significant uh, uh, importance uh, to the individual in their identity, uh, their name. He named them. And even more so that this God loves them and wants them to be in a relationship with them. So that's, uh, that's what he was praying for the people, that there's a that they would know that God deeply and intimately. He said, I pray that you will know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love. I want you to experience that to the fullness. And I want you to have the strength that's going to come from a diverse group of believers. And he's going to lead to one uh, idea that's going to be a theme here as we go into uh, verse 4, and then 
really into the rest of that book of Ephesians, the final chapter, uh, three chapters there, that idea of unity. So in today's passage in chapter 4, we're going to uh, look at the how of that formula for a healthy church. We're going to look at one of the uh, first of several marks of a healthy church, that of unity in the body of Christ. You know, the, uh, uh, as an aside, the first few verses of chapter 4, and, and uh, Stephen's going to uh, jump on part of this uh, next week. And, you know, I sort of feel like a, a guy who's driving another man's car. And uh, he's, he's maintained it. He's taken good care of it. He built it. It's not his car. But, but okay, he's leasing it. Um, <laughs> And he, he, he has a vague idea that I know how to drive. And as we prayed, he said, okay, you know where the stick shift is. And you know how to, uh, the speed limit and all that. Just don't wreck it. Because then I got to fix it next week. <laughs> he didn't say that to me, but that's what it's felt like at times. So these first few verses of, of chapter 4 are a transition point. And Stephen told me, he said, you're going from, from the imperative to the indicative or maybe vice versa, or whatever, vice versa. from the indicative to the imperative. You know, in reading through some of the uh, things that he gave me, he's, Paul is going from an uh, a exposition, an explaining, uh, a describing of the kingdom of God and, and the body of Christ to the exhortation. Here's what you have to do with that. Here's how you have to live that. He's going from uh, what we believe to how we're supposed to behave as the body of Christ. How we're going from doctrine to a duty. So all these things, and, and I love that word, therefore, and Stephen's going to hit on it again next week there in verse 1. Therefore, because of all these things, here's how you need to go. Here's how you need to walk. Here's how you need to live each and every day. This is going to be your way of life. This is going to be a behavior that marks you as my people, as my children. It's one of those things, that, that idea of adoption, being adopted into the body of God, into the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is a transition. I keep thinking of it as, as a hinge. One of the writers had it as a, as a hinge metaphor. Am I still in your thunder? Okay, okay. No, it is a hinge. You know, one side of that hinge, a hinge does nothing if it's just laying there. One side of a hinge has to be fixed to something that's firm and solid and immovable, like a door jam or a wall or, or the solid body of a box or something. The other half is, is affixed to something that has to take some action, that has to move, that, that has an effectiveness. Now, both sides are effective, the, the fixed side, and, and the, both sides are necessary, and they're joined together. And this passage, the first few verses of chapter 4, are that, that joining together, that, that transition from that firm foundation that Paul's reminded us of in chapters 1, 2, and 3 to how we're supposed to take all that and run with it, walk with it, uh, in, verse, in chapters 3, 4, and 5. Excuse me, 4, 5, and 6. The, uh, that, that phrase, and, and you'll hear walk, that, that, how we're supposed to walk for the next few weeks. This is how we're supposed to walk. So, where do we see that transition? It's in there in that, that very 
first verse is uh, very, very first words of verse 1, therefore, I therefore. Paul reminds us that he is a, I mean, a, a prisoner for God. That's, I mean, for the sake of Christ, I'm, I, I am here. Going on to uh, verse 2. This is the, uh, the manner that we're supposed to uh, walk to show that we are his, his children, to show that we're the body of Christ. In what manner? So here we go. Let me read that passage. I'm going to, you know what? Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let's just quickly lift that up in prayer as well. Father, I thank you that you give us uh, the words, uh, the word. Father, I pray that uh, despite uh, myself and, and in spite of myself, that your message will come through. Father, your grace, your gospel message here. We thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul encouraging us, exhorting us, uh, giving us these instructions on how we should live our daily life, our behavior, our conduct with each other. Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here today. God, open the eyes of our hearts uh, today to your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, thank you for that. So, this looks at the, the how. We're going to be the healthy body of believers. What, what, what keeps us working together and operating together? And this is an idea of unity. And he says there in verse 2, this is the how. With all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And the bond of peace. Three different ideas there. So it's a, uh, that idea of humility. You know what the biggest nightmare is? Is that someday you'll, you'll come up with a blank page in there. That's nah, never good. But that's not going to happen. So that idea of humility. Uh, it's not really a term that's found a whole lot, I guess, in, that, uh, in the Latin or the Greek vocabulary, the vernacular of that day. That idea of humility. Where pride... And self-exaltation, that me, first and foremost, is that idea in many cases. 
We do see that today. But for Paul to use that term, uh, then it was not, not as well known, but in the Christian community and the faith, he's, he's saying, you know what? There is a humility. And it's modeled on Jesus Christ. So that's what it's going to uh, point to there. Pride was more common. Pastor Tim Keller says in one of his books that humility, the essence of the gospel. Humility is not thinking more of ourselves or, or less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. It's being able to uh, put others first and before us. In uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, in uh, the second chapter, third verse, he encourages the believers to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Both of those are hallmarks of, of me first and, and pride. Um, the opposite of humility, that uh, selfish conceit, or excuse me, selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. He then points us to the very picture of humility that we're to follow, the nature and the character of Jesus. Thinking back to... Uh, at the very beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, as we see in the, the uh, book of Matthew, when Jesus gathers his, his first, he's just called some disciples together. He's, he's gone out and sought them and called them to him. And there are other followers there. He sits down with them on the side of the mountain. And uh, in one of those very first teachings, he's going to talk about humility. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. That poor in spirit is, is that realization that we're bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, apart from God, apart from His grace and, and His riches. We're broken. That's what that poor in spirit is. So Jesus, Jesus talking about that humility at the very beginning. He says, walk humbly. Consider others more significant than yourselves. Gentleness goes hand in hand with that. It says, with all humility and gentleness. You know, that's a, uh, a self-control. Some translations have it meekness. It's a, uh, it goes hand in hand with humility, and it's a product of humility. It flows out of that humility. It's... Translated at times in the Greek as that, that soothing agent, that uh, soothing medicine, a calming agent. It's a uh, willingness to suffer insult and injury rather than giving them out. It's the ability to, uh, to be mild-mannered. So it's that meekness. We say not a, not a weakness, but it flows out of that humility. Nextly, the, uh, with patience, bearing one another, patiently putting up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not just a, I mean, it could be translating a, a tolerating 
or a, uh, a putting up with. But I much prefer that, that idea of bearing one another. And we talk about bearing something and, and just not letting it affect you. But I also like that idea of lifting each other up, leaning on each other, bearing one another in love. And it says patiently, golly, patiently, putting up with each other. He's writing this letter to uh, both Jewish and Gentile believers at that church. He's seen that, that they're squabbling with each other because of their backgrounds, their, their faith uh, stories, where they come from. I mean, they're Jew and Gentile. We're, we're old and young and rich and poor and black and white. So many things that, that make us unique and set us apart. So many different, the kids would say, what's your story? Where you're coming from? Uh, we're made up of something. And that's a strength in the body of Christ. But there's also a unity. You know, sometimes that, that walk gets hard because we are so different at times. And sometimes you say, well, I don't know. I don't know that I can do it. Paul's encouraging us patiently. Lift each other up in love. Bear with one another in love. So that gentleness, that humility, that patience. Uh, be long-suffering with one another, as, as uh, uh, some translations put it. Paul tells the uh, uh, believers at Corinth, love is patient. So the word love, it's an agape love. It's committed, it's continuous, and it's unconditional. That's how we're supposed to love each other. So we're to walk humbly and gently with patient love, and, and third, with peaceful unity. We see that it says uh, there in verse 3, eager to maintain the, excuse me, the unity of, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager. I love that, uh, that term, eager. It's a, uh, a zeal in there. We should passionately pursue that unity. Uh, and it says maintain it. Be eager to maintain. The Holy Spirit brings us this unity to the body of Christ. It's not, not something that we're building or constructing or doing on our own because there's no way that we could build that unity. It's God that brings that unity uh, through the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit helps us to maintain that unity. And it's talking about that bond of peace. And that's that love that binds us together. And it flows out of that humility and that gentleness and that patience and that love. That bond of unity, uh, that peace. He also describes it as, as being filled with that peace in, in one of his other epistles. Be filled with it. Endeavor to keep it. Fight for it. Be diligent. We can damage it. It's not going to be broken. God has put it together and, and the Holy Spirit binds it. We can hamper it 
as, as humans. It's our nature. We can hinder it. It's not going to be broken in the big picture. But we got to work daily to maintain it, to, to keep it. So let's look at the second uh, point of that passage, which is the reason why we're supposed to walk this way. Why we're supposed to walk humbly with gentleness. Why we're supposed to uh, be patient and love each other. Why we're supposed to strive to keep that, that unity. It's because God is glorified. And the church is unified when we conduct ourselves like we're supposed to. Uh, when we live in a Christ-like manner, God is glorified. When we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. There's a unity in Christ and in the body of believers, a oneness that we share in the gospel. Verses 4 through 6, it goes through this oneness. And it talks about the, uh, I mean, there's seven of them. Seven ideas of oneness. There's one body. One spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. So that one body of believers, composed of all the believers from, from the time of Christ forward, one body of believers. That, that, that church, big C church, I guess, that body of, of, of Christ there. One Holy Spirit that... that indwells, that inhabits every believer upon that moment of salvation. That Holy Spirit, that encourager, that consoler. One hope. This is, I mean, when we were formerly hopeless, now we have a hope. And we have a hope in an eternity with Christ. Through, his, uh, through adoption into his family. One Lord. And that was a bold statement uh, back in that time when you had a, a, a Jewish ruler there, Herod or, or whomever, and you had a, a Caesar in Rome. That to ascribe any other Lord could be punishable by death. Those are fighting words. No, we have one Lord, Paul says. Jesus Christ. He is our one sovereign. This is our king. You know, because he bought us with his blood, we are his. He redeemed us. We have one faith. And that's the essential, the essential truths that things are built upon. That's that, that whole gospel message, one faith. You know, whenever he had the chance, Paul was preaching that faith, as he says himself. He was preaching that faith. This is the story, that gospel message is that faith. We have one faith, one baptism. And I think he was, uh, in, in my reading and getting ready, he's talking about that, that water baptism, that outward symbol of, of the new life. That we have in Jesus. I mean, it's a, a spiritual picture there. We're spiritually baptized into Christ. 
He says we have one baptism. We don't need to be re-baptized at any point. We share that baptism as a symbol of our new life in Christ. We have one God and Father. You know, and he's the God who is over all and through all and abides in all. Uh, author Tony Morita says it well. He says, we are one big adopted family. He is God over all and the father of all of his children. Those who call him Lord. And he's not, it says he is God over all, but he's not distant. Because he abides in all the believers. You know, throughout those, uh, those oneness passages, those, those seven onenesses in ones, in verses four through six, we see the Trinity uh, reflected in there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've seen that in, in some of the other passages. Each of those have unique attributes, unique roles. There's a distinction between uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there is unity in there and a unified purpose, unified in every respect. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to reflect as believers and as followers and as children there. We're supposed to uh, reflect that unity despite our uniquenesses. Despite where we come from and what we have, what makes us up, whether we're funny or not, whether um, what we bring to the table, to the family of God, thank goodness we're not all alike, that there is some distinction there. Paul's writing this to, to us. You know, he, he wrote that church, uh, or this uh, particular letter to that, uh, that church of Ephesus, because they were having some issues. But the foresight to know that believers were going to have some of those same issues two millennia later and figuring things out how to live together, how to work together, how to be the body of believers together. He's reminding us that we are one body in Christ and we should live our daily lives like we are one body in Christ. He says uh, in, in one of the other letters that, you know, we are one body, but n not all of us can be the ear or the hand or the foot. There is a purpose and a, a place for everybody, for every gift, for every ability in that body of believers. And we've got to bring it. And these last two verses here, it's sort of a shift there. And I had to go back to Stephen at one point and say, one through six? And he said, seven and eight. I said, oh, how's that going? So the next five pages are seven and eight. No. <laughs> I really don't know if it's just now 1030 or, or about there. I got time, no. Verses seven and eight. There's a, a but there. And it's not, it's not a contrary to what he's just said about all that unity and that, that working together 
It's not a contrast. He says, but in addition to this, or, or despite us all being one body, having to work together, getting along, we are differently enabled. We are all gifted uniquely. And that's a good thing. Verse 7, but grace, and that's that gospel message. That's that, uh, that whole big picture of who Jesus was, that grace. Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. How, how, can, can God's gifts or riches be measured? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's immeasurable. He uses that term uh, in, uh, elsewhere in Ephesians. It's immeasurable. But we as believers are given a portion, given a, just the right amount to strengthen that local body of believers in a church, and that, that larger church family. We are given just the right measure in there. I cook a lot. I don't always follow measurings. I think that's why three of my family members are laughing back there. It says a pinch of cayenne. I put a pack of cayenne in there or something. Um, It might taste funny after I'm done with it because of the, what I put in there. I'm putting stuff in there that's not even called for. <laughs> that's sort of that picture here. This is uh, that, that body of believers, that, that church that's, that's got to do some great things in God's name. We're to, uh, most greatly, we're to glorify Him. That's our purpose, to give Him the glory. That's what... That's what Paul was praying for that church of Ephesus. He said, you're given all this. You're strengthened so that you can give God the glory. So that's, that's our purpose here in everything we do. And it takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a lot of this. It may be an extra helping of that. And God sends the right people at the right time, the right servants at the right time. As we go through the, the rest of the book of Ephesus, Stephen's got a highlight of uh, what, that, what that local body needs. But it does need you and me to, to bring our gifts there. And so it says, grace was given to each of us. We've all been given that, that spiritual gift to use, to share. We talked about that in our small group. It's not for us and, and for, for making me feel good. It's for sharing with other people. And building up that body of believers, that body of Christ, that church, and giving God the glory. Verse 8. Paul's paraphrasing Psalm 68. And I had to go look at it and see what that, what that was about. Because it, 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 it reads funny there, I, I think, until you, have to, until you look at it and then look at the context. Um, and that's what we're being taught to do on Wednesday nights in our Bible study. And if you don't come on Wednesday night to the Bible study, I encourage you to do that because you'll learn how to read these passages better than I ever, ever could. So by, by following those trails and reading those notes that are getting harder and harder to read in there and everything, 
seeing what it says. And, and where did that passage come from? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he is talking about the King David. He's talking about the, the, the king uh, who ascended, who went up. He led the, the, the host, the armies, the, the captives, everyone that was following him up there. And he attained the right to distribute the gifts, the spoils of war. And Paul's using that as, a, as an analogy, as a paraphrase here, saying, Jesus, the conquering king, has the right to distribute God's gifts to his people. To, to take the immeasurable riches, the, the fullness of, of all that God has, and give it to his children, those who call on him, those who, who call him Lord, those who have his name. He gives that to us. Jesus has that uh, as the sovereign when he ascended on high as the Son of God. He has that right to to strengthen us, to give to us. As Stephen likes to say, what do we do with that? <laughs> now, now that you, you read all that, what, what are you going to do? How do you handle all that? How do we handle the fact that Paul has, has rehashed very briefly all those things in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that he's, he said, this is the foundation, this is the rock of our faith. This is the gospel message. This is the riches of God. And this is Son, Jesus Christ, who we call Lord. He says, walk like you believe it. Live like you believe it. That's what we're called to do. If we don't, have that relationship if we're not part of that family that's the first step is to realize that God's immeasurable grace is calling us he wants that relationship he wants us to be his children to be a child of God he's calling us that's that first step is, is to get rid of that that pride that, that self-exaltation that that Sin that's hindering us and say, yes, God, I want to be part of your family. I want to be your child. That way is through Jesus Christ. And that's that calling to become part of his family through Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a member of the family, the, the, a child of God, we're called to step out and live like it each and every day. And it's going to be hard many days to live like it because we're human. We get tired. We're broken. Even Paul acknowledged that and has said, man, I, I wrote this letter. I mean, 
And yet, my body, my, my heart doesn't always do like I know it's supposed to do. And that's where we are. Each and every day, we have to examine and ask, okay, how can I become more Christ-like? How can I look at the life of Christ? How can I strengthen that body of believers with what God has given me? We're going to take a moment, and some of my uh, brother deacons are going to be up here, and uh, we'll be available to, uh, to pray with you. If you have that heart cry, if not, call, call one of us during the week. Uh, we have that, that love, that desire that we work together, that we realize uh, that we need to work together and bear one another's burdens, forbearing one another, lifting each other up patiently. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to re rejoice with you. That's what we want. We want to be able to give God the glory with you. So bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Uh, I think our worship team is going to come up. But Father, we thank you that you opened up uh, your family to us. Father, that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and with Christ as your children. Father, I pray that those who don't have that relationship with you will feel that call, will hear you calling. Father, I thank you uh, that we can answer that, that we can live every day for you, that we can look and, at the example of our Lord Jesus and say, that's how I need to live with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen.